To get rid of those pesky ads, request stories, listen to unlisted and bonus episodes, and to chat with the gang, support us by clicking the description link. So, welcome to Talking to Me. My name is John, I'm sitting here with Jen and Nicole. Tonight, this is episode two. We covered the the uh, beginning of the Bike Path Rapist. Now we're going to talk about the Bike Path Killer and how he transformed himself into a killer so this is this is a, a natural progression from rapist to killer it would seem in every case plus you have the uh, police that are not catching this guy who is out there raping women on a bike path and getting away with it scot-free every time when that happens a killer or a rapist begins to think they're sort of invincible where they can't get caught and they kind of become more bolder and which is unfortunate that they can't be caught and that's what this guy did and we're going to talk about the murders we're going to talk this is going to go heavily in the mo there's a lot of things i found out with this story that's very interesting about the the mo of, of how someone like this functions the detective said about this first murder he says that quote i've been a cop for a long time and i believe that everybody is capable of murder but not too many people are capable to watch someone die a slow death this guy did so we're starting off september 29th 1990 when did i start the first episode off 2006 so this is 16 years earlier when did i what day did i start the first episode off october 5th no the first episode which was the murder the actual murder of joan diver was september 29th 2006 we're starting this story with the first murder she was killed the 29th of september 1990 joan diver was killed on the 16th anniversary of of this guy's first killing. So hmm. coincidence? Maybe. Tonight we're starting with a college student, 21-year-old Linda Yalem. So Linda and then Yalem is Y-A-L-E-M. This is her right here. If you can, can describe her for our podcast listeners. Uh, short brown hair, lightish eyes, and probably uh, that looks like a composite photo from college. What's a composite photo? Oh, Com like when... So for my sorority, your composite was like, it was like pictures in that same type of like shawl thingy. Oh, like sitting on the dryer or wash machine? No, stop using that as an example. I'm <laughs> sorry that I even said that. That wasn't my sorority. That was a different sorority. Um, But you, you wear that little shawl thing and it's a picture of every single member. And it's like, it's a big frame with all the members on it. The, I have a couple of them. Has any one of y'all ever sat on the wash machine? Is that like a real thing or is it the dryer? The dryer. It's the dryer. Is that a thing? Alex, do you sit on the dryer? <laughs> So September 29th, 1990, this is just afternoon. Now, the, the bike path rapist has been known for a while, since 1981, and he has a lot of them. Trust me, a lot. So women here, they know to, to be weary of this, especially if they're running even around campus, the University of Buffalo or whatever. Linda Yalem was at the North Forest Road. All right, so there is a trail around here. I think it, oh, here it is right here, the Ellicott uh, Creek. So this is where we're going to tonight. This same path. So not only did the bike path rapist murder this lady on the Ellicott Creek, but he also attacked there again with the uh, the woman nine days before the uh, retirement murder. All right, Linda Ye Yalem, she was on the North Forest Road. She was on the Ellicott Trail, mile marker 3.5. The body was found the next day. 22-year-old University of Buffalo student, st 
student communication major, avid runner. She was training actually for a New York City marathon in November. She actually grew up in Thousand Oaks, California. Her father died when she was six, but she moved to University of Buffalo to be close to her sister, which you're going to be reading some quotes from the sisters. Very sad. The sister talks about how she has to grow up not having that one companion that she used to have. It's very sad. This is from the book Bike Path Rapist. The attacker forced a ligature over Yalem's head and dragged her 40 yards over her back along a descending embankment, stopping in a secluded area with heavy foliage. It is likely he scouted and pre-selected the spot. With the garrote firmly in place concealed by the underbrush, the attacker took further steps to ensure no one heard cries for help. He stuck a 2 by 5 inch strip of ragged duct tape over her nose, then a second crisscrossed her mouth, cutting off airways. When her body was found, there was a t-shirt over her head, spandex, thigh, and underwear bunched around one leg. Just kind of how we talked about last time. She was raped and strangled. One detective said, quote, she fought like hell just to breathe. So Nicole just read, he put duct tape, and this is a new development for him. He starts bringing duct tape in his fanny pack. He put duct tape over her mouth and nose. So remember that the detective says, quote, she fought like hell just to breathe. So much so that the duct tape covering her nose had been sucked up into her nostrils. So she's struggling to breathe. The two places that you can breathe from your mouth and your nose, both covered up with duct tape. When they found her body, the duct tape on her nose, because she was... (laughs) trying to breathe so hard that it was sucked up into her nostrils. Oh. Duct tape is heavy. Yeah. So to to have it suck up into your nostrils, that is a a, a uh, very forceful breath. She was fighting. Yeah. The duct tape was put on her mouth and nose, which means he actually watched her suffocate. And at that same time, he had his hands around her neck. Her lungs were congested, which I looked this up. I was like, okay, what does that even mean? You ever see this in an autopsy? report it's uh quite a sight to see the lungs are completely red little speckles of red everywhere like acne or something when the lungs get congested that means that person was breathing so hard trying to take a breath that her blood vessels in her lungs all simultaneously burst at the same time and that's why you see some of the photos which i don't want to show you guys because they're kind of gross the lungs are speckled with red dots kind of like a really bad acne Mm. Crazy. Her sister, remember, Linda moved to New York for one reason. I mean, she got offers everywhere, scholarships everywhere. The only reason she moved to Buffalo is because her sister is right up the street in, in New York City. That's the only reason. They were best friends. Best friends. There's more than one quote where the sister sister tells of, of the pain that she's been going through. Years later, the sister says, quote, It's like your worst nightmare. How do I live with knowing what was done to my sister? It still tortures me. Every time I see two sisters together, I feel pain. She was raped and strangled, her nose and mouth taped shut, left in the dirt with a t-shirt over her head. It is worse than your worst nightmare. How do I live with knowing what was done to my little sister? It still tortures me. A woman calls the Amherst Police Department because a woman's driving by and she sees this whole thing kind of go, kind of play out besides the whole murder and rape. But just for a split second, she sees the two interacting and she calls the police one week later 
she says that she saw both the killer and Linda. She saw his hand around her neck, but this was when they were facing each other. She thought it was a couple horse playing. Hmm. So I don't know if she could have stopped anything, but... Question for you. Uh Does the book have pictures? Shram would like to know because if if it does, that is her prize. No, it doesn't. Dang. But every prize comes with a picture of me. (laughs) No, that's going to be what we do for Christmas photos for everyone. We're going to... No, it doesn't, Shram. I'm sorry. Yeah, it doesn't. Yeah, that's that's a good point. Most true crime books do. Really? Yeah, so... Let the bodies hit the news. (laughs) So... (laughs) So uh, most of the true crime books that you read, not not in today's ones, but from the 80s and 90s, they all have the, like the same thing on the front cover that says 18 pages of shocking photos or something like that. <laughs> Never before seen graphic. It's like, dude. <laughs> Sammy says that is a long ass drive from Buffalo to New York City. I used to be a nanny and one of my friends wanted to go home to her hometown one weekend, which was in Buffalo. Long drive, especially. Hung Oof. Over. Yeah. I had a friend growing up in Buffalo or he grew up in Buffalo. I didn't know it was so poor up there. But yeah, the uh, average income is super low, man. It's like thirty grand. Well, and in and the um the founder of the hot wing up there, the hot mm-hmm. wing, Buffalo wing. It's interesting that they that it the poverty rate is so low. You'd think that they would have um a poverty lot of people. High. What did I say? Low. Oh, sorry. But we know I meant income. Ri- ler- income. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Poverty rate is so high. Well, you'd think that you know they would employ a lot of people with the bills up there. You would get a lot of income to the area. Yeah, but they yeah. don't. They don't win any Super Bowls. That's the problem. They went to the. AFC championship they this past year. They went there, but they never win anything. I'm just saying. You're not wrong. I'm not a Buffalo fan, so you don't have to argue with me. I'm just saying. because it's, it's an NFL business. That, that actually, what I just said, came up in the book, too. They were talking about the poverty rate and... They said if if they uh, if the bills would win anything, it'd probably help something to that effect. I don't know, but I don't know, man. I didn't think it was that that bad either, but it's it's pretty bad. So I don't know. Hmm. I mean, very low pay up there, crazy. In in New York, I mean, I guess because lower population density up there has something to do with it than like Manhattan, where you have literally like eight people per square inch. All right, let's talk about the killer here. This is this guy right here. Can you describe this guy? He's a pretty good looking guy. I don't know. He has vampire teeth. He looks like, and not in this photo, but I'll show you a photo where he looks pretty close to Dr. Phil-ish. I, I mean, I can see it. Uh, he's Hispanic got the re- Dr. Phil. The receding hairline in the photo I'm going to show you. but He has a wife at the time of the rapes and murders. He has a wife, Kathleen, and two sons. When he was caught, those sons were age 9 and 10. They're now our age-ish. No criminal record before he was caught. Between 1992 and 1994, he lost the ability to produce sperm. We'll talk about this. His wife found out that he was not raping, but having coitus with a lot of prostitutes mm. so she made him get a vasectomy which is the reason from no 1994 sperm. to 1996 there was no sperm and you you know what sperm and semen is jen shut up john <laughs> <laughs> In high school, his mother told him repeatedly that he was a mistake. He was born with three other children. He was the last born, though. The dad was. You mean triplets? Or no, no, no. no. He one was one of three. Yeah, he was. He had three. He had two other siblings. He was the last born. His dad was an alcoholic and cheater. The mother m- maintained the home. He was born in Puerto Rico. I don't know if you guys could tell by his complexion. Puerto Rico. 
And in Puerto Rico in 1950, guess what was banned? Abortions. Just saying, Mama tried to get an abortion, but she couldn't. And now, just saying. <laughs> That's John dancing around a controversial issue. <laughs> you can move past it now. Okay. <laughs> The mother couldn't handle another baby. She went to a street drug dealer because abortions were illegal. And she tried to get or she got a random combination of pills from this guy. Oh, yeah, this would definitely kill whatever's inside of you. Shit, take all this. She did. It didn't work. And it may have screwed him up. And he's always wondered if that screwed him up. One of the things that but screwed like, him up. Why would you tell your child that you tried? That's what happened. I mean, I guess if, if you don't really... I don't, I don't know. I don't understand. I don't know what makes me be one person one time and the next and the next something clicks in my head when I commit these crimes. He said about the rapes. It made it more exciting. It made me over the top. That was a good feeling. All right. I'm going to skip a lot of his background stuff, but he comes over at the age of two to the United States. His dad leaves completely, doesn't have contact with his dad. He grows up kind of a meager existence when he's older. He has a regular job. He works at American Brass. At the time of the first rapes, he has two sons born one year apart, 1980 and 1981. Avid jogger, baseball coach, youth, uh, youth coach, golf. His first arrest was in 1991, so he's been raping for 10 years before he got first arrested, and that was because he was soliciting a prostitute, arrested again in 1999 with another prostitute. So after the 1991, the first rape, or the first prostitute, his wife makes him get a vasectomy. So, mm. kind of crazy. He says the following, quote, I don't know what makes me be one person one time and the next. Something clicks in my head where I commit these crimes. Crimes. And for the rapes, he says, quote, it made it more exciting. It made me more over the top. That was a good feeling. He was abused by the mother's boyfriend at the time. So the mother, the father leaves. Growing up in the U.S., she gets a boyfriend. He basically rapes him. And this is for a control thing. The abuse is so bad. He remembers one night where the mother leaves the home, leaving her son, Altimio, and this rapist, her boyfriend, the mother's boyfriend, in the house. She leaves. She goes out into the woods. And they're living in Florida. This is in the winter. She stays out in the woods just to, you know, because she didn't want to be in that hostile situation. But she leaves the son there to get abused all mm. night while she's out in the woods. Mm. Crazy. So maybe that's why he's seeking people out in a wooded area. I mean, maybe. That's a good point. I think what made me do it is something that got, that's got that got to be up here, he reflected, tapping his head. I can be one person one day and another person to commit these crimes. I wish I knew. When the urge comes, it's there and I got to do what I got to do. Time goes by and I know I have to have sex with somebody and rough them up. Now, between 1994 and 2006, when he came out of retirement, I said that he stopped and he did altogether. Quote, I was very, very scared. I had a talk with my and stopped for 12 years. Instead, he hired prostitutes three times a week at least. Quote, the more I was seeing prostitutes, the more my sexual drive was coming back to me. 
It was getting worse and worse. I couldn't control it. My philosophy was I needed to rape somebody again and take control. If I could explain it to you, I would. But it's hard for me to know even myself how I led these two separate lives. Now, let me go through the case history really quick uh, about the, the, the whole thing. Thursday. Now, I remember this happened in 1981. We know of one rape that happened in 1981. The other rapes between there, between then and 1986 were not documented or were lost or something. But in on June 12, 1986, he dragged a 44-year-old ex, on an exercise path, raped literature around the neck until she was unconscious. She lived. July 14, two days later, 17-year-old raped behind a front or at high school in Hamburg. June 10th, a 16-year-old was raped on the train track, dragged to a nearby junkyard. May 1st, a 15-year-old was walking on, on a path towards Riverside and dragged to an abandoned building. Now, at the time when he's confessing to all this, he says he doesn't remember names of any of the victims, even the murder victims, but he, he remembers exactly what each was wearing, even the rape victims, what every woman was wearing and where it was. And he has the, the news articles and everything. He kept all that, but he just didn't, never knew the names. Mm. So that tells you anything. Quote, to me, it's not rough sex. It's more about fantasy. My raping got worse where I couldn't control it at all. I never intended to kill them. But when she put up a fight, I wanted control and I took it. I knew that once I killed one person, I could do it again. Mm. August 24th, 1989, a 14-year-old, this was the youngest victim, was walking to summer school. He seized her with a literature, ligature, lifted her over a wire fence and dragged her to a wooded area. She she was raped and left with the garrote around her neck. May 31st, a 32-year-old businesswoman, and it just goes on and on, on, on and on and on. All was with that the 14 same... year old killed or was she... No, no. The first person that was killed was September 29th, 1990. This is Linda Yalem, who we already went over. Mm -hmm. The second one killed was 1992. That was a Majane Mazur, 32 years old. No one really thought that she was a part of his M.O. because she, in fact, was a, a, a prostitute as well. So this is her right here. And she was working as a prostitute. And her background, she actually comes from Greenville, South Carolina, from a very successful upper class family. Her name is Majane Mazur, but that's a changed name. I believe her family disowned her. Her grandfather was the mayor. And she got introduced to crack cocaine through one of her boyfriends and became addicted in Ended up in Buffalo, New York, and changed her name, started working as a prostitute. So, I mean, you can see how she was very successful before she got hooked on crack. I mean, you see her there, very happy, you know, very different. And this is before. Now, no one thought that this was related to him because he doesn't kill prostitutes. But then we just talked about it. I mean, he's like getting them three or more times a week. His wife makes him get a vasectomy because he's going so much. Jesus. At first, I didn't have any intent to kill her. I picked her up, gave her $40, and we had sex in the back seat. What made me kill her, I don't know. Anger and excitement started to build at the same time. I stuck a bag over her head while we were having sex. I knew I had the rope in my pocket. Now, he plays this whole chord that, you know, he, he's not innocent, but just led the one thing to another. He was just trying to, he doesn't know why he rapes, yada, yada. And then he had to kill. He is not as good or innocent as he makes himself out to be. These women were, like this woman in particular, he put two bags over her head and watched her suffocate to death. So if you 
you watch someone die like that, you're a, you're a kind of a special type of person. You know what I'm saying? So not sure, the good. Sure, kind. we'll go with special. That's the word. He says about her, quote, once we had sex, I took the rope out and put it around her neck and strangled her. She didn't say anything to me. I could have got up and put my pants on and she could have done the same. I don't know what made me click. You don't just go around strangling people, but I did. I had the chance to do something to other people. Why did I start? I don't know why. Without Paul's, his recollections came to a close. Quote, I took her body, put it in the field and left. Her case goes cold from 2000 or until 2004. That's when the DNA from all the other rapes, the uh, the DNA technology has caught up enough to link him to her body found as well. All right, let me go over the MO. This is crazy. This is how he kills people or this is how he rapes and kills. He waits for you if you're a female. What age doesn't matter because I mean we're talking about 44 year olds to 14 year olds. He's an opportunist killer. He waits in the woods. When you jog by, he makes sure no one else is around. He takes out of his sweatpants because he's seen wearing jogging shorts and and a jogging sweatshirt and a a fanny pack and everything else he looks like a regular jogger and he is you know he does enjoy that stuff when you go and you turn around to come back to your car he is on that same path and he looks and some some of the victims said this at least one quote while boldly staring into the person's eyes he'll let you pass just staring right into your eyes gives you this weird creepy feeling I don't like that. Then he averts his gaze as he passes you. You're running, he's running, he's staring at you, and then he kind of looks away. When you pass him completely, he pivots, he sprints back, and then he takes the literature out of his pants. Now he is behind you. He forces this literature, which is, it was a rope, and then it became the malleable metal. It is already looped. There's a slipknot already tied in this garage. He puts it over your neck. A lot of times they can see that it scrapes the chin of the victim or whatever. He's forcing it over your neck. He then, so he's behind you. He's got the wire successfully over your neck. He pulls it from behind and he pushes the slipknot down. So the slipknot is is right on your neck, but it can still kind of turn. Then he turns his whole body so he's in front of you. Now he can take his, his left arm and just cinch it down on the front of your neck. That's why they see the the marks. And in fact, a lot of the rape victims, this is hauntingly eerie. A lot of the rape victims, even today, still bear the marks of that literature on their neck. That is how tight he puts it on your neck. When that slipknot is on your neck, your throat constricts. Your windpipe is completely constricted. There's no air coming through. At that point, you can't scream because you can't even breathe. He drags you off the trail into a wooded area that he's already predetermined where. He orders you not to look at him. In a lot of cases, he... Well, so in some of the cases, the first time he was doing it, he would bring his own towel, put it over your face. But then eventually he he uses the shorts or something like that and eventually his mo will change to what it was at the last time where he uses the the woman's shirt he pulls the shirt up over your face so you can still see him but it's very blurry right you're looking through your shirt Mm -hmm. he demands you not to look at him and he takes this this long wire the detective of this case said quote several women had rope burns on their cheeks and chin where he scraped when he was trying to loop them from behind the attack 
facts are always the same. At first, when he was starting out as a rapist, it was all over the place. During every season, during every time. Now, it's only in the morning until like 11 o'clock. That's when he strikes. That's when he has the most success. It is also only between May and October when he strikes. Do you want to take a guess why? Weather. No, um, kind of. Think about something else. School? The, the body would not like get all hot in the gross. Oh, no, wait. It would. May to October. He, he attacks between May and October for one reason. And that's because these months in Buffalo, New York. Oh, it's light out later. No. These months in Buffalo, New York provide the most foliage the most shrubs the most shrubs the most plants to hide his activities Mm, okay quote this from the detective quote nobody saw this guy he was completely invisible like a ghost it's strange because he was not just in a location briefly for the rape he was hanging around these areas beforehand scouting things out yet somehow remained undetected he recalled 11 but there were a lot more that were were put on him between 1997 1994 the six of the first nine assaults he used a gun he says it was a pellet gun however i guess we don't know in 1985 he switched to a literature now the reason he did this and stopped using a gun is because on one of his attacks one of the women fought back and actually got the gun from him and was fighting with him for the gun control like you see in the movies where they're you know it points at you and then it points at me and you're like "Ah, i can't get it that i mean he's not a big guy so and he didn't expect this victim to fight back but she did this was a 20 year old victim grabbed the pistol quote he got very mad the woman later recalled he grabbed my hair and said that was really fucking stupid of me and then he called me a bitch and that's and that he's killed other girls before and he would kill me after i hit him he grabbed me the woman recalled we both had our hands on the gun and we kept going back and forth pointing it at my chest and pointing away and i was screaming that's the only time i was screaming Finally, I realized I wasn't going to win this gun and this gun could go off and I pushed it at him and pushed it away. So now that was the last time he used a gun. All right. In 1986, as I said, he switched to all morning between seven and 11 o'clock. And this is the, the last thing I want to talk about. He would always give the victim a time limit to wait. Mm. So after the rape, he would get up and say, like Nicole read the first time, quote, give me 30 seconds. But this would always slowly increase. It goes to give me five minutes. Give me 10 minutes. Give me 20 minutes. Mm. That's a long time to wait. And he told the 14 year old victim, give me 40 minutes. But he is the way he's saying it's like, oh, just give me like 40 minutes. You know, it's like you just raped me. It's like, oh, just give me 40 minutes and you can get up. It's Mm -hmm. like very, you know. Yucky. So, what do you guys think about the that story? You guys, uh, so they did catch him with the DNA, mm-hmm. and obviously in prison for the rest of his life. His, his wife divorced him and all that stuff. The wife didn't know. A lot of the times, he, the wife and the kids were out on cruises and and going to Disney World and camping and bowling. He was just a regular father, but he was he started to you know he was raping all during this time. He stopped for sixteen years and then decided to come back out and try it again and that's when he got caught did he ever say what made him go back to it he started doing prostitution more and more and more and just he's a sexual deviant maniac i guess i don't know he just couldn't handle himself like ted bunny you know so he says quote i was afraid to say anything to my wife because of the 
fear of her leaving me. And I knew she was right. I should have got help, but I didn't. I just kept on doing these crimes. She was talking about his prostitution. She found out that he was going to a lot of prostitutes because that shit costs a lot of money. Right. I mean, you go three or four times a week. Jesus. You know what I'm saying? That's expensive. Yeah. So that's when she makes him have a vasectomy. I don't know. What do you guys think of that case? I don't know. It's not my that's favorite. That's pretty cry- yeah. crazy. Not my favorite. It definitely makes you consider your outdoor activities for sure. Yeah. I, I will say, I don't think any other podcast has ever covered this as far as, you know, this killer. But all right. So that's all I got. I hope you guys enjoy this. This is Talk Murder Me podcast. And we'll be on the Discord. Yada, yada, yada. But until next time, my name is John. I'm sitting here with Jen and Nicole. Good night, you lovely, lovely people. <laughs>